Hey everybody, Magnus here. You know, at the end of each episode, I have this little outro that I play. It's this little canned spiel, really, that basically is intended to cover a bunch of different subjects. One of which is donations made to the Two True Freaks podcast network. And all I really did with that was take, the almost verbatim, the spiel that you hear at the end of a lot of Two True Freaks episodes, slightly modified it for my show, and then basically I just played that at the end of every single episode. And one of the things that I say is that anyone who makes a donation, your message will be read in the show's opener. It's that easy. Well, here we are. This donation includes the following message. I've been listening for two years. Sorry I couldn't donate sooner. This donation is $20 for Back to the Bins and $20 for Trentus. I love Back to the Bins. I started collecting at 12 and have always collected backwards along with current comics. I've got a pretty large back issue collection because of this. Great issues and great Arnold voices. The Dr. Bell... Excuse me. The Dr. Bill... Atuma... It's not a Tuma. That was hilarious. Trentus is super entertaining. Great insight into comic books and one of my favorite podcasts. I love the Big Book Report episodes. In the conspiracy one, Chris mentioned a group of high-ranking military officials covering up UFO, etc. What was the name of the group? If they can squeeze in a message before the show... Maybe they can let people know that many elementary school libraries take comic book donations. Just make sure they're age-appropriate. No Spawn or John Stable comics, etc. Thanks. This was written by Comic Ed Inc. And uh, as, you know, I'm a man of my word, I say that those messages will be read in the show's opener, and indeed they are. And so I just want to say, first off, thank you, Comic Ed Inc., for making this uh, donation, and thank you for your words of praise and kindness. And also, thank you for mentioning the fact that a lot of public school libraries will accept comic books as donations, because I, at least, did not know that. And in fact, of all the things I've ever thought about donating to a library, a comic book has never been one of them. But when you think about it, that's a kind of stupid idea. And so already my mind is spinning on ways that I can make donations to local public schools that, you know, for comics that I think they might get a little bit of a kick out of. Uh, Specifically, there's an elementary school nearby that I think maybe is going to be receiving some Superman trades in the not-too-distant future. Specifically, Silver Age and Bronze Age and stuff like that. Basically... I'm going to try and uh, stick to sort of code-approved stuff, Comics Code Authority-approved material there. And so that's the plan. So thank you very much. I had no idea that was even possible, and I can fairly say it would never have crossed my mind to even do it. So thank you for giving me a good idea. And for those of you listening, that is to say, some those of you listening who are not Comic Ed Inc., just think about it. Okay, just think about making a comic book donation to some public schools in your local area. Maybe some private schools, too, because a lot of them have even less funding to work with than most public schools. Just think about it. I mean, it it's putting comics into the hands of kids. And at the end of the day, how can that possibly be a bad thing? Now, you don't have to follow my example of sticking with Silver Age and Bronze Age stuff. The only reason I'm interested in that is because of the content. You know, you can pretty well be sure that anything that you'll find in a Silver Age comic book or a Bronze Age comic book, content-wise, is going to be age-appropriate, right? Different people have different standards, and so that's the only thing I can think of, just kind of going for the lowest common denominator like that. So that having been said, though, don't feel like, you know, I'm putting you in a box or anything like that. If you have other ideas, send them along, uh, you know, to your to your local school and you know who knows we'll see what can happen there and this could also be uh, 
incidentally, this, this could also be a good opportunity to sort of maybe expand beyond comic books. And maybe what you can do is, or not so much, sorry, poor choice of words, not expand beyond comic books, but maybe this could be a good opportunity to expand beyond specifically superheroes, right? Maybe include other genres in there as well that I think most of us probably have, you know, six or seven or maybe 200 non-superhero comics that are nevertheless age-appropriate. And this could be a good chance to broaden some people's horizons beyond just superheroes. Now, I don't want that to sound bad because I love superheroes. But at the same time, the whole point of doing the Big Book Report series is to emphasize the, the fact that comics fundamentally have more to offer than just superheroes. There's nothing wrong with superheroes, but comics can be so much more than that. And to me, it doesn't make sense to limit, limit uh, anything in terms of genre or anything like that. So once again, though, thank you to Comic Ed Inc. for making this donation uh, in my name or this contribution. It's not even really in my name, is it? It's, it's a contribution really made to me. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you are paying attention to the schedule or anything, or for that matter, the details and minutiae of my personal life. But my anniversary with my girlfriend, Stacy, is it's always on May the 20th. And we're coming up to May the 20th right now, so this $20 is going to be you know, helpful in me celebrating my anniversary with her. I've never wanted to, apart from the outro, that little pre-recorded canned outro thingy, I've never really wanted to make a big deal of the fact that, yes, I do have a tip jar open, because ultimately I'm here to have fun with comics and, and just enjoy reading comics and then enjoy talking about them with friends. This isn't something that I expect to turn into a big money spinner. And so I don't want anyone to feel like the show is basically being held hostage. All right, There are some shows that I'm sure they do cost a little bit of money to produce. But there are certain shows, and I'm not going to get specific, but there are certain comic book podcasts out there that really do hold the shit hostage. You know, and I don't get that. You know, it's not like their expenses on it could be all that much. And yet they make it seem like basically they're having to pay off the national fucking debt every single time they want to release an episode. And, you know, part of me wants to say, you know, get off your fucking high horse about it. But I don't want, to, I don't want it to seem like I'm, I don't know, criticizing other podcasters or anything like that. It's just that mentality doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. So... Anyway, there's really no uh, ending to any of this. So I just want to say thank you again to Comic Ed Inc. for the uh, $20 you've put uh, into my uh, fund for my anniversary with my girlfriend. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time to do that. As to the rest of you, if you want to make any kind of a uh, donation or anything like that, I want you to understand you're perfectly welcome to, but there's no obligation I'm not going to guilt trip anybody about it or anything like that. Especially since, end of the day, I'm not paying for my space on Two True Freaks. They're giving it to me for free. And so their bills are already covered with other funding uh, mechanisms. And so they see fit to let me have the money. But end of the day, I don't especially need it. So I don't want anyone to feel like you're being guilted or compelled. But if you feel like you want to, go for it. I won't say no, but I'm also not going to ask very often either. So that's pretty much that. So that's really what I had to say for right now. So enjoy the rest of the episode. Hey, your attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom, where's Buddy? to conceal his own angled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important.
to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented as always by Two True Freaks. Around here, it's all comics, movies, and TV shows, and usually all by myself, but every now and then, I manage to talk other people into joining me. Take today, for example, where I'll be joined by a podcaster of considerable repute. Yes. The Conway Twitty of podcasting himself, Mr. J. David Weeder, but you can call him Dave himself. Welcome back to the show, sir. Hello, darling. Oh, that was creepier than I thought it would be. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I need an adult. <laughs> well, I, well, how do you know I'm not into that? I do uh, Okay, so that's awkward. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's when the show came to a screeching halt. <laughs> now, Dave, your marketing wants tell me that you're also the the host of Dave's Daredevil podcast, and your legal wonks say that they're going to see me in court if we don't at least talk a little bit about Dave's Daredevil podcast, at least a little. So uh, just what in the world is Dave's Daredevil podcast? Well, the, the simple answer is I'm Dave. I read Daredevil comics and comment on them and try to dig into what's good, what's bad, what's, you know, what's going on with that character, and why it has such a rabid fan base. And it's just week to week. It's just taking a Daredevil comic and just getting as organic as I can with it and just talking about what I see in front of me. And it turns out Daredevil is just a conversation stimulator because he's just, no matter who's writing him, he's a fascinating character. Right. And my, my experience is that, you know, you can like or dislike individual runs. I mean, I don't know anybody who's read the Carl Kiesel run on, on Daredevil, such as it is. Um, I don't know anyone who's read that and thought, this is complete crap. But what I find is that there are very few people out there who just dislike the character. They may dislike particular runs, or for that matter, they may like certain runs m maybe more than others. But I would almost want to put him in, uh, on the same type of level of, uh, as Batman, where it seems like nobody out there really dislikes Batman. No one out there seems to really dislike Daredevil either. You know, they, again, they may have favorites of certain runs or what have you, but I don't know as anyone really just out and out dislikes that character. And I've always thought that's been very telling. Yeah. And I think Kevin Smith on the, the Daredevil DVD commentary or extra nails it. You know, look at Spider-Man. That's, that's your Rolling Stones. Huge, huge band. Daredevil's the Grateful Dead. His fans are devout. They love him to death. They will follow him anywhere. But he doesn't have the crossover success. No. No, and that's actually very true. And, uh, wow, that's not really a bad way of looking at it at all, actually. Um, well, either way, that's uh, really not what we're here to talk about. Uh, to move away from gingers and red bodysuits, Dave and I are, are here to talk about The Flash. And uh, this is one of those subjects Dave really didn't need a whole lot of persuasion to join me so that we could talk about you see, I've been wanting to talk about the Flash Born to Run storyline ever since I started this show. And this story is basically, I guess you could say, all about how Wally West first acquired super speed, but within the, I guess, the post-crisis the post context that we were, the DC was dealing with at the time, because it really hadn't been done. That story really hadn't been really retold for a post-crisis setting. And this was a, a really good opportunity to do it. And I don't want to sound like a hipster or anything like that, but guys, you really need to understand, it is a complete coincidence that there's a successful Flash TV show that's going on right now. I was going to talk about this story right about now, no matter what. It's just a happy coincidence that there's also a Flash TV show that we can kind of coast off of. Now, Dave, what exactly is it that's just so freaking cool about Wally West? What is it? He's what I consider the spine of the DC Universe. He's the ultimate superhero success story. Starts out as a sidekick, uh, joins, the, of course, the Teen Titans, which is a phenomenal team with a lot of history, mm -hmm. and then takes on his mentor's role and redefines it, makes it his own. The closest thing would be Kyle Rayner, but then again, you don't have the same history with Kyle Rayner that you do with Wally West, somebody who, you know, you've always defined the Flash as Barry Allen. And suddenly Wally's able to make it Wally West. And we've never seen that full crossover. Well, and I've, I've often thought that there was a little bit of a 
I, I guess I, I don't even know what you call it. A little bit of a psychological blind spot with Wally's thinking about himself that at least in a certain era of his career, he thought of himself as a speedster who wore Barry Allen's outfit and was called the Flash. But he didn't really think of himself as the Flash. He kind of always thought of himself as being sort of second-rate everything. And the blind spot there comes in the fact that you know, he did something that was completely revolutionary when you think about it, that he and the other – I almost hesitate to say he and the rest of the DC Universe sidekicks started their own sort of junior Justice League. But there is an argument that in a sense that is kind of what they did. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't enough that they're helping, you know, the top banana, you know, month in and month out. They need to band together and not just kind of have their own little support group, but also – deal with things that maybe are separate from the Justice League and separate from their respective mentors. And I've always thought that, you know, Wally West, as a founding member of that team, always said a little something-something about his head and where he's at psychologically, that he was okay with doing this, that this is something that his idol, strictly speaking, didn't do, start his own little, uh, little club. Because I always thought of the Teen Titans as a club, not so much a team of the best and the brightest, the you know everything that, that that's wonderful about the DC universe. The same way that I do with the Justice League, these guys are the legends and the icons and the heavy hitters. I always thought of the Teen Titans. You could almost think of it as being sort of like an after-school club that these guys did on their days off, you know. And he was a major part of that. And I just always thought that was really interesting that he never acknowledged what a what a badass you you have to be to even think of something like that, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I just I, – I say this stuff as it comes to me. So uh, – but I guess we better get into the synopsis of the story where I'm going to run my mouth even more. This is uh, Flash, Volume 2, number 62, up through number 65. Storyline is entitled Born to Run. Uh, issue number 62 is entitled uh, Chapter 1. Thunderstruck. Cover date is early May 1992. Executive editor is uh, Dick Giordano. Cover artist is Greg LaRock. Writer is Mark Wade. Aww. Penciler is Greg LaRock. Inker is Jose Marzin Jr. Colorist is Glenn Wetmore. And letterer is Tim Harkins. Story summary is as follows. Two terrorists are arrested and tell the cops that a bomb's going to go off shortly inside of the Central City Airport. So, the Flash searches the airport uh, for the bomb using his super speed. As he does so, he recalls holding a firecracker until the last possible second, and then throwing it back when he was a kid, he would do this. And uh, it was done sort of as a pissing contest just between him and his friends, just to really see who was bravest. He performs a similar task here with the bomb as it's seconds away from going off. The casing begins to break apart, and he throws the bomb into the air, saving the airport and, as well, the 300 people who were inside the airport at the time. From there, Wally heads to a restaurant uh, so as he can order one of everything. While he's enjoying his meal, he thinks about how he has to eat this much food just to keep up with his metabolism. As he does so, he overhears a familiar voice and turns to see his, his grandpa, Ira West. Wally sees how Ira is starting to become a little bit more forgetful and, let's face it, a little senile. And he thinks about how wonderful the Allen family is and how much he admires and misses Iris Allen. He thinks that she really couldn't have married a better guy than Barry Allen. From there, Wally drives his grandfather home and starts rummaging through Iris's old items that have been boxed up uh, and have just been sitting around there ever since she passed away. As he does so, Wally recalls the time that he was 10 and the summer that he moved to Central City to live with his Aunt Iris. From the day that he arrived, he and and, uh, Iris were very close to one another. She agreed to take him to the Flash Museum, but that ended up getting interrupted by men robbing the Diamond Exchange. At that moment, the Flash stopped by to uh, put a stop to, to, the, to the robbery that was in progress, but the Flash ended up uh, tripping over some jewelry that had been left on the ground. When one of the criminals got the drop on the Flash and was about to blow his head off, Wally moved in quickly, opened up a fire hydrant, and knocked the thief off balance. 
The act of doing so buys the Flash enough time to take care of the criminals, and Iris ran over to the phone during this incident because I probably should have mentioned sooner she's a news reporter and she needed to call in the story. But fuck it, I'm somewhat making this summary up as I go along. So She tells Wally to wait behind because they're going to have lunch with her fiancé, Barry Allen, and she needs to finish calling in the story. Barry shows up with wet hair, and in general, apart from that, Wally finds him to be a rather boring individual. Later on, when Iris goes to work and leaves Wally with Barry, Barry takes him to the police lab where he tells them that he's going to introduce him to the Flash. He tells Wally to walk through a door where he, Barry, quickly transforms into the Flash and shows Wally around the lab. When he starts telling him about the incident that caused him to receive super speed, a storm builds outside, and suddenly a bolt of lightning hits Wally as he stands in front of a wall of chemicals that originally infused Barry Allen with his super, four, uh, super speed powers. To be continued. Which leads us into Flash, number 63, Born to Run, Chapter 2, entitled Inherit the Wind. Cover date is late May 1992. Executive editor is Dick Giordano. Cover artist is Greg LaRock. Writer is Mark Wade. Penciler is Greg LaRock. Inker is Jose Marzin Jr. Colorist is Glenn Whitmore. Letterer is Tim Harkins. Wally continues hanging around his grandfather's house and remembering the summer that he spent with, aunt, with his Aunt Iris and his Uncle Barry. Barry was caught in a freak lab accident. I should repeat that. Wally was caught in a freak lab accident just like his Uncle Barry. Unlike Barry, though, Wally was not immediately endowed with super speed. Not at first, anyway. But Barry pushes Wally until his new super speed is unlocked. And for Wally, this is a dream come true. He finally has super speed, just like the Flash, his idol. As Wally speeds through the city, it doesn't take him very long to find a crime in progress. A gang of thugs is in the middle of robbing an armored car. And it is ridiculously easy for the Flash and Wally to beat the piss out of the thieves, trap him inside an improvised prison made of bricks, and then leave him behind for the police to find. The, Wally, uh, the Flash has to cover Wally's mouth as, he, as they speed past Iris, though. And then later, the Flash has to break it down for Wally and explain the importance of keeping his powers a secret. After that, the Flash gives Wally a Flash outfit to wear in order to protect his identity. You know, since he and the Flash are going to be partners now and everything. Iris comes home later and Barry's home not long after that, carrying the mail that he just picked up. After which, they head out to pick up dinner. In the present time, Wally sits in his grandfather's house and muses over how that summer was, in retrospect, the happiest time of his entire life. As he looks at a photo of the Flash laying incapacitated on the ground while the Mirror Master stands triumphantly over him, Wally thinks to himself that it's all too bad that it had to come to an end. To be continued. Which leads us into Flash number 64, Born to Run, Chapter 3, entitled Reflections of Youth. Cover date is early June 1992. Executive editor is Dick Giordano. Cover artist is Greg LaRock. Writer is Mark Wade. Penciler is Greg LaRock. Inker is Jose Marzin Jr. Colorist is Glenn Whitmore. Letterer is Tim Harkins. Story begins with Wally sitting in his grandfather's house and <coughs> as he continues no problem, as he continues remembering the summer that he spent with his with his Aunt Iris and his Uncle Barry. In the past, the Flash tried several times to teach Wally, or Kid Flash as the media started calling him, how to vibrate through walls and solid objects. But so far, the best Wally's managed to do is destroy whatever he's attempting to vibrate through. For quite a while now, the Flash and Wally have been trying to solve a case involving clones or duplicates of regular, innocent civilians being used to commit crimes, at which time the it just vanishes into nothingness. After a chance conversation with Iris, Wally eventually figures out that this is all the work of the Mirror Master. When Wally dashes off to call Barry Allen in order to convey a message to the Flash, he witnesses a crime by one of the duplicates in progress and decides to take the chance of following the crook back to the Mirror Master. 
Inside the Mirror Master's hideout, Wally manages to get captured and then used his bait to lure the Flash into a trap. It's a trap! At that moment, Flash zooms into the room and seemingly falls right into the Mirror Master's trap. But it turns out to be a trap itself that the Flash had sent, uh, had set up because he had, in, instead of running into the room himself, he had instead sent his own mirror duplicate in his place. Still, that doesn't stop Wally from escaping his mirror prison and damn near beating the mirror master to death until the Flash shows up and shows him that it, nothing really bad happened, he's still alive, and it was all just a trick. Later on the way home, Wally starts convulsing. His body's racked with pain, and Ira West, who's serving as Wally's physician in this, theorizes that Wally's body is still growing and changing in ways that the adult Flash's body just isn't. And so because of that, Wally's body is attempting to reject the super speed and go back to normal. Ira West then suggests that if Wally keeps using his super speed, he's going to die. To be concluded. Bitch! Send a Flash, number 65. Uh, Born to Run, chapter 4, entitled Live Fast, Die Young. Cover date is late June 1992. Executive editor is Dick Giordano. Cover artist is Greg LaRocque. Writer is Mark Wade. Penciler is Greg LaRocque. Inker is Jose Marzen Jr. Colorist is Glenn Whitmore. Letterer is Tim Harkins. And I do believe that's the first time I've made it through all of those credits without some kind of goof or something like that. So, yay. Achievement unlocked. There you go. Now I get uh, my next level of training and powers and get to fight the boss character. This is going to be awesome. Wally sits in his grandfather's house and continues remembering the summer he spent with his Aunt Iris and his Uncle Barry. He muses that time is the great enemy. It can never be beaten. But the summer that Wally spent with his Uncle Barry Allen and his Aunt Iris seemed to drag by, and he savored every last moment of it. In the past, Wally's just been told by Ira West that if he continues using his super speed, it's going to kill him. He was already leaving later that weekend anyway, so not being able to use his power just rubs salt in the wounds. On the way home... Wally cries and begs Iris not to take him back to his parents, but she says that he belongs with them and he needs to go back. Back home, Wally and his father immediately get on each other's nerves, so Wally runs away in the middle of a storm and hides in a tree. Later, his father finds him and climbs up after him, demanding that they both go home now before a tornado hits. At that moment, though, a tornado hits. Wally's dad falls out of the tree, and then a massive tree branch lands on top of him, pinning him to the ground, and it's too much for Wally to lift. Wally figures that he's dead either way, so he may as well try to save himself and his dad. He puts on his Flash uniform and tries to unravel the tornado at super speed. Once again, his body's racked with pain, but Wally pushes through it and manages to, tore the, to tear the tornado apart. And, in so doing, force his body to accept his new superpowers. While the tornadoes, well, with the tornado destroyed, Wally and the Flash, I should say Wally and his father, I think I made that mistake last time, Wally and his father go home. Back in the present, Ira uh, talks a reluctant Wally into sticking around for dinner. They decide to have lasagna, which was a favorite of Iris, and just enjoy each other's company for a change. The end. So, <laughs> what did I think? Well, I got to tell you, I'm actually kind of pissed off. And the reason for that is because Dave's been a little too polite to mention it this time. But um, this is actually the second time that he and I have tried to sit down together and record this show. Last time, well, last time the recording just did not cooperate with us. And uh, there's, there's a chance that we may end up getting screwed over again by that same thing here. But this time... We've taken steps to make sure that we don't lose the audio, but uh, I'm going to put Dave on the spot now and say, Dave, how is the recording going right now? Going smoothly on both channels. Yeah, awesome. But, but then again, this time I'm not sitting in my car on a rainy day. I'm, I'm in my home office with, with technology. Okay, fair enough. Well, very good. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Dave. Um, now, 
I'm also going to put you on the spot and say, because of the fact that I've done so much talking, my throat's a little dry right now, you start off the comments. What did you think of this story? I liked it a lot. And, I, and again, as you mentioned, you didn't have to persuade me. As soon as you mentioned, well, I'm thinking about doing Born to Run, I'm like, pencil me in, please. <laughs> and I tried to be polite, but but a little forceful. Uh, no, I it, again, I'm, I'm a big Mark Wade fanboy. I've made, I've made no secret about that. And Wade... I'd forgotten about this analogy, but Wade was on a DVD called Countdown to Wednesday, which talked about the comic industry and how to break into it. And he was talking about visiting his old childhood home and just kind of thinking, how cool would it be to walk around the corner and see little me and tell him, hey, one day everything's going to be great. You're going to write comics. This story felt like that idea, that, that sentiment, that Wally's looking back and, yeah, there are scary moments, but one day you're going to be the Flash. And how cool is that? Yeah. On top of that, it starts with a great action beat, which, I mean, this is Wade's first issue of a, of a run that's, to say well-regarded is probably an understatement, one of the well-regarded runs on The Flash. And it starts off with Wade not jumping right into the origin, but showing us, here's Wally, here's what he does, and giving us a little bit of a thrill along the way. Really great heart-stopping scene. And that just sets a great stage because, you know, your attention, you, you've got your buy-in now. And Wade, you know, as you mentioned, we hadn't seen a Wally West reboot. The original story was 12 pages and really wasn't revisited. Wally's been in this book for six, has been headlining this book for 61 issues up to this point. It was time. So with this new writer, Wade doesn't just say, okay, I'm just throwing all this out. He does what's called, you know, really soft, organic reboots. Mm -hmm. And this one works. So, and, it, and the reason his run works all the way through is that we start with the origin and he's planting seeds so to go from 12 pages to four issues i think for the the headlining character of a book i think that's necessary and it doesn't feel written for the trade either because you do feel like i need to come back next month right and and that's the other thing each you know each does have that completely legitimate you know sort of cliffhanger and uh, but yeah it doesn't feel artificially had it out in any in any way i guess if i thought about it at the time i guess to sort of get well actually to go back even before that my origin story with the flash is probably like very similar to a lot of people about your age and mine and i think our gateway was the john wesley ship tv show and it, it's kind of strange to think that at once that's a very good sort of primer for the flash not necessarily the best primer for the Flash comic book, as it was when that when that show debuted. When the when no. when the comic was in, I think it was right around the mid to late forties of that comic uh, of that comic book's run. Yeah, not too long before this. Yeah, and at the time, I sort of walked into this thing wanting to read. I guess basically a comic book version of the TV show. And instead of that, what I got was this some fuckwit named Wally. And he it's like, it seems like his secret identity is no secret identity. It seems like it's it's public. And the hell is this vixen chick? And why should I care about her? And, <laughs> you know, all this. And it just it was a really weird time to try getting into the flash if you weren't already up to date but had i had the proper context for it i might have actually told you at the time that you know what the pre-crisis origin stands there's really no reason to go back to that especially since there's a degree to which the flash didn't really get a reboot out of the crisis on infinite earths at least along the lines of superman or, or even batman didn't really get it and honestly it would have damaged the character to have gotten it because Wally's character trajectory was very dependent on what happened to Barry during the crisis, and that would have been completely ruined with a reboot. So I guess I kind of understood where they were coming from, but my attitude about it, I know the way that my mind worked at the time. I would have told you that a reboot, or at the very least a sort of soft retcon, wouldn't necessarily have gained anything. And you can imagine how silly I would have felt then, having said all of that. And then here comes Mark Wade to show me how wrong I am. So anyway, all of this is a very, very frickin' long way of saying I agree with you. <laughs> it's weird that you mentioned Flash Origin. 
Um, the, 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 what John Wesley, Wesley Ship Show was a turning point for me. It's when it was solidified. But for mine, it, it would have been Super Friends. And then as far as the comics, just from Super Friends being aware of the Flash, I picked up – it was Flash number 345 mm-hmm. during the trial of the Flash. And that's where I, I kind of found out who Barry Allen was and et cetera. And the thing is, Kid Flash captivated me from there. Because bear in mind, this would have been a time when the superpowers figures are on shelves. Oh, yeah. I, I had the Flash figure. I still have the – well, I have a different one, not the one I had. But – and I, I – you know, Bear, Wally shows up to testify against Barry saying, no, you – you know, what happened could have been avoided. And Kid Flash captivated me because I thought, how cool is that costume? It's, it's totally inverted. And I really wanted to write to Kenner and say, make me a Kid Flash figure. <laughs> so Kid Flash has, has been a big part of, of my Flash fandom. And then to see him, you know, succeed, succeed Barry was, you know, dream come true to some extent. Well, I agree. And that, you know, and it's kind of funny to think that on paper, that's what any sidekick is theoretically there to do. But the list of people who've actually done it, it's pretty small when you think about it. I mean, really, Wally's the only one who did it for any length of time. Mm-hmm. Both strange. Donna, Donna and Dick had a very short run. I don't think Aqualad ever fully took over. Mm-mm, no, uh, it's just it's it's just one of those just sort of really weird things to think about. And to me, it was just it was another one of those things that really set Wally apart from the rest of the DC universe. And it's strange to think that, you know, when you think about the the DC universe and the way that it was, I would say, in the mid the mid to late 90s, my argument is that you could have a very long and drawn out debate over which character is the better entry point into the in, in, into a, the DC universe Kyle Rayner or Wally West and I truly don't know who I would argue actually in, under those circumstances because Wally was continuing a legacy and I'm not and that's not to say that Kyle wasn't but Wally was continuing something really while Kyle was rebuilding it mm-hmm and I, I truly don't know which of those. I mean, if you were, if you'd been a complete Marvel zombie up to that point, and you wanted to poke a toe in, in the DC world, and, and really understand what that universe is all about. I truly don't know which of those two. If it could only be one, which of those two I'd, I'd want to recommend to you? Because, but uh, yeah, for my money, he is one. And this is, I guess, this is my point. Wally is one of the great characters that uh, the dc has had certainly in the last i don't i should think maybe 20 30 years one of the most interesting and i would say one of the most accessible because you know superman there's a limit i think to how much we're really supposed to identify with him and same thing really for batman but wally is there's a degree to which i think you said this the last time we tried to record and i kind of agree with you he's sort of the everyman kind of of the dc universe and i don't mean that like in a charlie brown sort of way but you know, I grew up with older brothers, and so I know what it's like to have to live up to somebody else, somebody else's legend. You know, and that's one of those things about Wally that I I have never had to struggle to relate to. I mean, what do you think? No, I agree completely. And and Wally's journey as a whole to see where he ends up in the, at, by the time that DC wrote him off is is probably one of the best. It followed our journey because we were of a certain age where, as you mentioned, we're, we're following in people's footsteps. We're trying to live up to our fathers, our brothers, mothers. And Wally did that for us and along with us. And Kyle did that to some extent. But I think for my age, Kyle was – he was a contemporary. He wasn't somebody who grew up that way. So Wally I got and Wally kind of – it is the same journey we're on just with red tights. Agreed. And so that's what makes him it's, – it's his humanity. The fact that he's one of us, he just happens to have a job where he saves the world. Agreed. Well, uh, I guess as to, uh, as to my notes, you know, not speaking a little less extemporaneously, my – I, I got to tell you, I really love this story. Now, I must be honest. I did not pick this story up as it came out in real time. And my reason for that, like I said before, was that I had tried getting into the – into the Flash comic around the time that the John Wesley ship show had started up. And that comic, for all that it was and wasn't, was just 
so far removed from what I wanted in a Flash comic book at that time that I just I, – I couldn't invest myself in that. And so I would love to be able to tell you that you know I followed the character through thick and thin. It's just not true. But I've got to say at the same time though that um, – a good bit. I got to say, a big part of that. I honestly, I really do blame that on on Bill Messner Lobes. I mean, I'm sure he's a talented writer. He seems to be fairly well regarded for his work on on Wonder Woman and whatnot. But I, looking back at it, I don't know that he was the right writer to handle this book. But because of all of that, it didn't really make all that big of an impact on me, at least at first. That. Mark Wade had taken over writing this comic because to me, Mark Wade was not the God amongst men that I think of him as now. To me, he was just that guy that wrote a mostly decent fill in issue of Superboy the comic book back in 1990 or so. And that was about as much as I ever thought of him. But I started paying real close attention after a while, and then I eventually tracked down the back issues. And then and now, I view Born to Run as Mark Wade kind of setting the table for Wally West in the post-crisis here, and we sort of touched on this a while ago, but for a lot of years there, Wally had been pretty much stuck in 1987. He was perpetually grieving over Barry, and I think you could fairly say that he had the mother of all inferiority complexes going on to the point that he was just a complete dick of a human being. And what what has always played for me about Wade's run on The Flash is that he took the time to affirm every single letter of what had come before him, even if it didn't, let's face it, even if that stuff is completely beneath him, he still took the time to affirm that those things, in fact, did happen, and then gradually started moving things more in his own direction. And there's obvious stuff going on here, like Wally being such a Flash fanboy, and you know how gaining super speed was the biggest, come, biggest dream come true ever, and the history of dreams come true. And honestly, that's a characterization that I think Wally needs to have more than any other character, perhaps. Wally would enjoy being the Flash, or at least having super speed, precisely because he's such a Barry Allen groupie. And on that basis, I think it's logical that Barry's death would hit Wally just as hard as anybody and maybe harder, harder than most. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at your your idol plus a friend and a family member. I mean, look at celebrities like Robin Williams. That hit a lot of people because, well, everybody liked pretty much everybody liked Robin Williams. There's mm-hmm. something in that repertoire. Now imagine that combined with your dad, and you know you've got something devastating. Plus, you've got to step up to that game. Well, and I think that there's a um, a tendency to want to. On on Wally's part, I don't want to know. I don't know if I'd go so far as to, as to say as to call st- call it stage fright or not or wanting to live up to his legend. Maybe there's just something there that he regards that outfit and the Flash name. Jay Garrick can go to hell. This is Barry's thing, and he views that as something that ought not be sullied. And I get the idea that he kind of picked up and carried on with the name Flash. Mostly because that's what people expected him to do, not because that's not ne- – rather than that necessarily being what he wanted to do. I don't know if that's making any sense or it not. It is, but. yeah. And, and thinking of that, not only that, he, he has to step up to, the, to somebody like the Justice League. You know, Hal, Clark, Bruce, people who were contemporaries of Barry. And he's got to try to fill in that spot, like going from the kids' table on Thanksgiving. That's – that's that's got to I mean it just blew my mind to think about that to to be standing next to Hal Jordan who's like standing next to your uncle. Yeah. He's the cool guy but he's not necessarily your contemporary and suddenly you've got to work with him on that level. Right. And I think the thing that would probably trip him out the most is that moment when they start talking to him like he's an equal and he's been here all along and all they see is the symbol they don't necessarily see the man inside and I don't know. I mean, I'm just freaking – and I don't mean this in like a mopey emo kind of way either. I bet you know, he – there's a humanity to it, but it doesn't go over-the-top melodramatic. And no. God, I just love this stuff. I love it, love it, love it. Well, his interactions with Superman – and I covered these back when I was doing Superman Forever Radio. 
there were two races, or there are a couple of them, but two issues I, I covered. In the first one, it's Superman and the Flash, and Mixus Pitalik is involved, and you know, it, Wally feels completely inferior. It's like looking at a god amongst men. In the f- one that was years later, about 2011, was the, the other one, because one was 89. The other mm-hmm. was 2011. By then, Clark's like, hey, you want to go have dinner at my house? And that was, you know, that was the, the beacon points for that. Because I don't care who you are. Standing in the presence of Superman has got to be certainly overwhelming, if not intimidating. Mm-hmm. And for Wally to finally hit a point where, he's, you know, he's Clark now is it's, – it's a journey. I mean I don't, I don't have anything more creative to say on that. It's, it's an incredible journey. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, as much as I love this story, and I do, um, this is one of those stories, you know, people can say whatever they want about The Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen or anything, but to me, stories like Born to Run, to me, this is what I would give to a civilian and say, this is comics. Mm. For as good as this story is, though, I got to tell you, The art just is not completely there. It's competent. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to sound like I'm disrespecting Greg LaRock. But I kind of feel like there was a time on this book when Greg LaRock was – he, his style and his art were very much what Wally West was all about. By the time of Mark Wade's uh, run on this character, though, that time had come and gone. And I don't think he was an appropriate pen- uh, penciler for this uh, for this comic anymore. And now, as I say that, I feel like I need to justify that opinion by saying that when I really started getting into The Flash again, it was uh, with The Flash, it was either, God, now I'm blanking on, it's either Flash 80 or 82, I forget which, but it's basically uh, Ringo's first, in, uh, first issue, basically when Ringo took over the book. And that was really my grand reintroduction to to Wally West and really my first foothold in, in, in Mark Wade's flash and understanding what this was all about. And I truly cannot imagine a better penciler for, for Wally West in that era of, uh, of his history than Mike Waringo. Right. And especially looking back at it now with, uh, you know, born to run and everything, I can't help but think how, Punk rock would it have been if this had been Ringo's first first issue? I mean, I don't know. You, you free to think whatever you want, but I just I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, we yeah, and, and I thought about that because this came up last time we recorded, and when I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, it, it, in a technical sense, yes, it, it tells the story. It has some moments that are really great, like the little poster of Flash saying "Slow down, read a book," mm-hmm. and his in the Rock's Barry looks fine, but yeah, this is a Wally story. And I was just randomly thinking about it after we recorded last time, and I thought, how cool would it have been to have Ringo tell the present-day stuff and have Infantino come back for the flashbacks? Oh, that would have been awesome. Because Infantino to Flash is what uh, Kurt Swan, Kurt Schaffenberger, Al Plastino were to Superman. All mm-hmm. in one guy. So, <laughs> And I think he, you know that also applies to Wally to an extent. Mm-hmm. And I think those two together would have meshed fine. But, of course, I, Ringo is – it's hard not to be biased with Ringo, man. He was solid from top to bottom, and he totally captured the the metallic suit that Wally was wearing at this time. Yeah, and I don't think there are very many other artists who, who got it quite the way he did, where it looked like if, – if this makes sense at all, it almost looked like the thing was made of glass that somehow mm-hmm. didn't break just by him moving around. Yeah. It was like – it really was that shiny and that reflective and everything, and – yeah, nobody did it. Nobody did it the way he did. Um, and I ultimately, like I said, I don't think the art hurts uh, hurts the story. But let's face it. I mean, comics have always been and will always be a predominant visual medium. And if it's one of those things that you can have – you well, hell, you can have Mark fucking Wade writing the comic. But if all you have is mediocre art like Greg LaRock, all due respect to him – then I don't think the book is as effective as it could be. Whereas you could have just the shittiest Steve Gutenberg of comics type of writer, um, you know, just some fucking hack writing this thing, like fucking Brian Azzarello writing the comic. But if you've got the right dynamic type of artist drawing it, 
it can at least be somewhat tolerable because at least the visuals are are, are similar. And I don't think they are in this case. So that's yep. just where I'm. What hmm. I what I will say in in not necessarily in defense, but food for thought. This mm-hmm. this at the time was not an event, as you said. Mark Wade wrote an issue of Superboy the series, as mm-hmm. well as he did a lot of work with Impact Comics, a very underrated brand of comics. Mm-hmm. But at this time, Mark Wade coming on a book isn't Mark Wade coming on a book today. Mark Wade comes on Daredevil; it's an event. Mark yeah. Wade takes over Archie's an event. Here, it's just another writer filling the slot. And they, agree. they had no idea what was to come, or at least they probably had a little bit of a pitch, but they didn't know. Hey, Cobalt Blue is going to come in and just rock your world, or that he's going to redefine the origin of the Flash in a in a way that's set up in this story. So, uh, yeah, and that was actually that that actually leads into something else. You know, as far as just like hero worship that's going on here, um, Wally's not the only one doing some hero worship in this story because um, I remember when I had uh, Dave on for a uh, for my fiftieth show. We talked about Starman number 50, and one of the comments that Dave made when he was talking about James Robinson for Starman number 50, um, he said that Robinson had his – he had his he, he was playing the long game. He knew what story he wanted to tell, and he knew, give or take a month, how, how many issues he was going to need in order to tell it. And I think that can be said verbatim for Mark Wade here. That even the smallest, most innocuous moments in this story are not there because of random happenstance. It's by design, and it's going to get paid off. It may take a little while. It may take several years. It will get paid off. And you know, sometimes the most, the most subtle, tiny little bits of attention to detail, stuff that people only joke about, it ain't a joke. He's going somewhere with that. He needed to mount the gun very early on in the story. And um, we're talking around it, but uh, basically what we're saying is the speed force. And there were certain things that happened in the story, specifically Wally becoming the Flash, through the exact same freak accident that affected uh, Barry. Works fine in the Silver Age, but I suspect that Wade had a – he respected that origin. He had an affection for it. But it was one of those things that just kind of defies probability. Even by fuzzy science sort of comic book standards, there's really – like if you could buy into the idea of somebody getting superpowers that way, fine. It could happen once. It's not likely to happen again. So if it does happen again, there's got to be some kind of outside influence here. So what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. And I think – I don't know why, but I've gotten the impression that Mark Wade has kind of disowned the Speed Force in recent years. And that's really a damn shame because I, I still think that's a great concept. And it it does, if you ask me, ex- sort of explain the difference between what's the difference between what Superman can do, which is move his legs like really fucking fast, versus what speedsters can do where they're propelled by this sort of – uh, super na- I don't I don't want to say supernatural but unearthly force. Right. And they're not just moving their legs fast, they're tapping into some kind of other power, you know? Uh it it a non-sentient power maybe, but a, still a, a a power of some kind of sort of external force. I don't know what what the fuck else to call it and I don't know. I mean to me that that's completely legitimate, it totally works and I don't understand why he'd want to back away from that. See, I, I've heard him back away from hypertime, but not so much the speed force, because the speed force is still in play, as far as I know. I'm well, behind on the current book, so I'm not 100% sure on that. But Well, basically what happened was uh, somebody was at a con, and they asked a, a question specifically about the speed force, and Mark Way jokingly said, somehow, dude, I, I just can't hear what you're saying. I'm sorry. Next question. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe I misinterpreted something there, but it just kind of felt like... Maybe he regretted having done it, and well, maybe he just didn't want to. Just because of how just hard to really convey the speed force is, maybe he just didn't want to take twenty minutes to answer a simple question. Uh, and you know what? I, it could be. Maybe I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. It just. Um, it's just. It's. It's one of those things that it would. It would just. It would break my heart. Is what I'm saying. Well, it would be like Jeff Johns saying, "Okay, I reject the entire color spectrum that I created." 
which you know, it, it you know totally changed the landscape of a character and, and expanded it into a full mythology. Right. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. It you know that that thing that so defined his work on that character and led to so many other amazing concepts and stories, and now he just washes his hands of it. And like I said, I hope I'm misinterpreting that because that would that would really break my heart. And so um, anyway, so that's um, now we're pretty much to the end of my notes about uh, Born to Run. Now, do you have anything that you want to throw in? Because I, I feel like I've kind of stepped on your toes a few times no, here. Not at all. Not at all. The only thought I had was the, the 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 exaltation of Iris. And that always bothered me because, it, granted, they softened her in the end, but in those early days, so Flash 110 when Wally was originally introduced, Iris was just a stone-cold bitch. Mm. All she would do was bust Barry's balls. <laughs> and here it was like, oh, she was the greatest. Uh... Again, they softened her up and we are post-crisis, so I'm going to assume that the, the the bitch mode didn't happen. <laughs> well, I've read so few of those issues. I'm just going to have to roll with it on that one. I, I will defer to your expertise on that. But uh, yeah, I've heard other people say the same thing. Like, what the hell? Ha- I'm happy, but you know, what the hell happened? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, uh, that's pretty much it uh, for me, and I think that's also going to be pretty much it for Dave. Now, um, as to next week, I'm going to be talking about the big book report. Uh, this is the big book of Vice. Going to be rejoined by uh, Chris Honeywell for that. But um, in the meantime, I just want to, first of all, thank Dave again for joining me. I always love recording with you. And uh, now before you go, we talked about this kind of at the beginning of the episode, but just to be on the safe side, uh, where else can uh, can people find you? You can find Dave's Daredevil podcast at the aptly named DaredevilPodcast.com as well as iTunes. It's also on Stitcher Radio. New episodes are released every Sunday. And as we've said, you know, I think the core comics crowd, they don't need to be told anymore how awesome Daredevil is. Where maybe back in the late 80s, early 90s, maybe they did. They don't need to be told that anymore. Anything, though, that gets wide audiences on board with Daredevil, is that works for me. I'm totally okay with that. So uh, the more the better. Wow, this this episode has been all about redheads and red bodysuits so wow okay well i think that's pretty much it for me so as to uh next week uh, basically i'm going to be talking about another entry in the big book report so i'm going to be joined by uh, chris honeywell we're going to we're going to work through all of that and so hope to see all of you then but uh as it is right now bye everybody i will see you next week and we are out the flash world's fastest human The Flash, whose speed enables him to vibrate through solid walls and conquer the barriers of time and space in the pursuit of evildoers. The Flash, Scarlet Speedster for justice. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. (coughs) No. No, no, that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Hello and thank you for calling the Tales of the Justice Society of America 24-hour live human being customer service hotline. Hello, I... Unfortunately, all uh, of our representatives are sleeping. Or busy. Uh, busy. All of our representatives are busy right now. But if you stay on the line, your call will be answered in reverse Hungarian alphabetical order, starting with the letter... D. Okay. Your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line. 
Alright. We are experiencing longer than usual wait times. Your call will be answered in... 94. Minutes. Please continue to hold. Your call is extremely important to us. Please stand uh, Check us out on the web at www.twotruefreaks.com. Your call is ridiculously important to us. Yeah, Please if my call's so important, then why don't you answer it? is taking so long you may be asking yourself what the fuck is taking so long um, be sure that we'll be with you shortly please continue to hold answer answer the goddamn <laughs> let me check is he still there ah! hey guys he's still holding oh <laughs> we're sorry for your wait please continue to hold god damn it Tales of the Justice Society of America is back with all new episodes only at twotruefreaks.com. Now, introducing the We're Alive Fancast, a fancast dedicated to a story of survival. Hey, this is Mick. This is Redbeard. We would like to introduce our new fancast, in which we will be covering Season 4 of the zombie podcast audio drama known as We're Alive. Join us as we review each episode as it comes out, leading into the conclusion of this great zombie story. We can be found at MickRed.com, that's M-I-C-K-R-E-D.com, or by searching for We're Alive Fancast on iTunes and Facebook. I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality, is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I've put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S. M-A-G-N-U-S Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday and that's a promise Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows That's right Simply click the PayPal link donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing, and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play, keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. 
My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.